You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. This is uh, Joe Gavallis with the Safe Senior Hour. And uh, it is a uh, pleasure today to have as our guest uh, Attorney Will Johnson, who is the, um, um, we'll say, the chief attorney for the state in terms of uh, dealing with uh, uh, adult abuse, uh, neglect, and exploitation prosecutor with the Georgia Prosecuting Attorneys Council. Um, Welcome, Will. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. Well, with this time of the year, with uh, what's going on here, we, you know, the uh, bad, the bad guys in the world are trying to take advantage of uh, of anything that they can in order to pull scams, uh, especially in this time of uh, of of uh, kind of a, a total uh, change of our society and. Um, so we're going to cover those in a little bit uh, about some of the, the, the recent scams or attempted scams that have been taking place. But, uh, again, I want to recommend our um, um, our listeners to always, always remember elder abuse does not report itself, that you need to contact a professional in your area, in your state, in your community, in your country, if you suspect anything of, of elder abuse. And again, for our discussions on our show, we uh, talk about elder abuse being three things, physical, uh, institutional, and uh, financial uh, exploitation. So with that, um, Will, how about just uh, letting the uh, our, our listeners uh, get a little background about yourself and about your job and and, and what, what you all do with the um, Georgia Prosecuting Attorneys Council, or is known as PAC here in Georgia. Sure. Um, so I guess I should start with not many people probably know what the Prosecuting Attorneys Council is, right, Joe? Right, correct. So we are the agency that provides training and support and resources for the prosecutors, the elected district attorneys and solicitors, around the state. So much like the trial lawyers have an association, the public defenders have an association, we're kind of the the resources and the training for all of the district attorneys and solicitors. Um, We do conferences, we do one-day trainings, they can call and ask us questions, we do research, we provide updates on case law as it comes out to keep them up to date, and we we have a number of attorneys in our office that specialize in different things, such as domestic violence or child crimes, or for me, it's elder abuse. I'm specifically set for elder and disabled adult abuse. And 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 that covers what for our listeners, basically. What what do you I I, I what what type of abuses do you um, kind of in your jurisdiction or that you're looking at? Well, I, I cover, as the resource prosecutor, I'm expected to be the statewide subject matter expert in all the forms. Um, it, we break it down into a number of categories under the three that you talked about. Under physical, we would have, whether it's hitting someone, 
um, you know, that kind of physical punching or assaulting. Sure. We also have unreasonable confinement, which is illegally restraining or chemically restraining. And we also have neglect, which is leaving someone without the resources, without <clears throat> the kind of food and water and care and support that they need. We also have financial in this state, and that's probably the most prevalent that we see is financial abuse. But we also, it falls into categories of sexual abuse and um, what we call mental abuse. Okay, and then you have institutional abuse also, correct? Yes, any of those can take place in a person's private home, scams can hit them there, but you can also have any of those same criminal forms of abuse in nursing homes and assisted livings and personal care homes and any of those facilities where people live. We've learned that elder abuse happens in all settings regardless of where a person is. Right, and, and I think for our listeners, and remember our listeners are all over the United States and all over the world, Georgia, I think, is one of the unique states in the United States that have made um, exploitation uh, of, of a senior a RICO predicate crime. Can, can you just uh, let, let our listeners know what that means and what um, added uh, tools that gives a prosecutor? Yes. So when you say that elder abuse is a predicate crime, you mean to the big... Um, racketeering charge, what Correct. we call a RICO mm-hmm. charge. Um, and if you... It, racketeering involves some kind of scheme or scam or widespread operation of two or more conspirators. Um, it, it, most of the listeners would probably understand it as the older um, racketeering act that went after mobsters and gangsters back in the day. It was to take down those kinds of operations. Um, and by being predicate acts, it means all of our elder abuse felonies are acts that can create that kind of racketeering scheme or can create that kind of overarching description of how a complex scam took place that lets us better define it, better explain it when there are multiple actors and it's hard to see how they relate together into an elder abuse scheme. Let me just interject for our listeners. I would venture to say it's very rare unless it's a a relative which is very common, but it's rare if you're having the professional scammers where it's one person. There is usually two or more people and they usually have some kind of a uh, uh, organization, if not a, a formal one, but certainly in fact of how they operate. So this this allows uh, the prosecutors to look at it from a different point of view. I was a I'm a retired federal agent, and I worked organized crime and labor racketeering, and we use the RICO, the federal RICO statute, all the time. And many of the states have developed the RICO statute, but Georgia is one of the few that have added in exploitation of the elderly as one of these acts that, that that will enhance the punishment and enhance the power of the prosecutors. Is that a fair statement? Correct. And it, it's 
not just the financial type of abuse. It, it's all kinds of abuse fall okay. under our racketeering act. Well, that 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 is really really great. And I know as I talk to other states um, and, and officials in the states, they are very uh, interested in trying to to take this this type of a statute dealing with elder abuse as a racketeer, as a racketeering a RICO predicate act and put it in their state uh, um, state statutes. It's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful uh, um, a bit of legislation and as a tool. I will say I know you used it and other people have used it. I believe right. I'm sorry, Joe. You kind of broke up there on me. I didn't hear. Oh, okay. You. I said I know. It's a it's a tool that I know prosecutors have used, and I think you've used it in some of the matters you've worked, and uh, or certainly that you you've uh, um, uh, helped uh, give guidance to on a prosecution. Um, and I know it's used very extensively. Uh, I know right here in the county I'm in, uh, in by that by the prosecutors that uh, go after these. Uh, elder abuse uh, um, scam artists and or, or abusers so yes it's it's not very helpful like you said when there's maybe a family member or one caregiver who's coming in and who starts taking stuff or helping themselves to what they shouldn't but when you have these bigger schemes these bigger players and and when it gets so complex and you have so many actors that it's kind of hard to drop numerous indictments, numerous charges. It's a way to really show the whole picture of how the crime occurs. Right. And, and I think if you could go over for the for our listeners, and I think it's very important what Georgia has done, and I believe many many other states have done, is is expanded the law that in terms of looking at at how elders are and how they live and. And and they're uh, um, you know they they move they might be living in a, in a, in a, some kind of a, a home, but the crime might have happened somewhere else. So they give the prosecutors a little more leeway in how to bring the cases. Isn't that true? Yes, um, that's what we typically call venue, and it means we have to prove that the crime occurred in the county where we are charging the crime. Right. But we have a lot more latitude here in Georgia in that we can charge elder abuse um, in any county where any part of the crime occurred or where the victim lives, if it's a victim over 65 years of age or who fits under that disabled adult um, qualifier in the statute. That gives us a great deal of um, latitude to handle it because you may have a victim who lives in way down south in Decatur, Georgia, but the scammer is up in Atlanta. Um, and it, it doesn't make sense to try and take a very vulnerable, um, perhaps bed-bound adult or elder victim all the way halfway across the state so you could charge it there where the victim lives. And, and that's important for, for our seniors and elders. You know, as they get up up in age, this this idea where they're being 
hauled around for a prosecution. A lot of them just say no, but when you but when you're able to take it where they live, it's it's a very significant part of the statute, and and we. Uh, um, we're, we're very happy that uh, that that's in that statute, and also there's a way right to expedite um, uh, expedite the taking of testimony sometimes, isn't it? Because people are elderly. Yes, we actually have a couple of tools on that front. Um, the the more the one I don't like to use as much is you can file a motion to push these cases to the top of the calendar, but that really gets dicey, especially if you have jailed defendants who need priority and things like that. The better tool that we have is taking a deposition. Now, normally you think of a deposition in a civil case, but here we can provide all of the evidence to the defense attorney and do just a mini little recorded trial of the victim, their testimony, their cross-examination by the defense attorney, and if something happens to our victim, if our victim is maybe with a terminal illness or might be 95 with Alzheimer's, it gives us a tool to preserve that victim's testimony so that their voice can be heard. Well, I think that's important that, that they get to hear their voice. But we'll come back and go into some of the cases that you worked on as we take our first break on the Safe Senior Hour. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the second segment of the Safe uh, Senior Hour with Joe Gavallis, and we're honored to have as our guest today Attorney Will Johnson with the uh, Georgia Prosecuting Attorneys Council, and he is the Adult Abuse, Neglect, and Exploitation uh, Specialist that deals with these prosecutions throughout the state of Georgia, and uh, welcome, Will. Thank you for taking part in in our discussion today. Thank you again for having me. 
So uh, we we talked about before what the, basically what your uh, what your uh, prosecuting attorneys counsel does, what your job is, some of the uniqueness of the Georgia statutes, and again, as we as this remind our listeners, I know this goes all over the United States and all over the world, and there are different laws, and and we're talking criminal statutes basically right now. There we do have a little little a bunch of civil where you can have some seizures of, of assets and things like that but it's basically criminal statutes correct uh will yes um most of what we have in georgia are all criminal statutes there aren't really any on the state level civil statutes geared towards elder abuse that you would deal with through the district attorney's offices other than that you might throw in right i think don't you have a, some civil stuff on the rico side where you can civilly seize, seize things. I, I know the federal yes, side. Yes, there is but, some yeah. on that side, but it's it's not as commonly used as the criminal portion. Okay, so let's go over now. On we had remember we talked about for our listeners that there that elder abuse is three uh, types of abuse: physical, uh, institutional, and financial exploitation. Will, can you just go in without? I know with all the keeping all the bounds of what you have to do as a lawyer. But uh, let's try to give an example to our listeners the type of cases that you've experienced or you're aware of for at least, you know, at each of the categories. And, and that lets people know that these cases are real. It's not something we just say it happens. It really happens, and you've got to go to trial. And when you go to trial, it's got to be, you know, you've got to convince the jurors that, that somebody's guilty of a crime. It's not like we can just talk about it. It's actually... You know, you're you're uh, you're putting your money where your mouth is, basically, and got to prove it. So, uh, Will, can can you give us? Let's start with physical. Can you you know of some cases? Are you familiar with the case that might be interesting to our uh, listeners that dealing with the physical uh, abuse of of elders? So, there are a few cases that I have handled um, in the past. And it includes, usually when you talk about physical, it's both at home and institutional. Um, I know I've handled cases um, when I was an assistant district attorney where um, a resident in a care facility was sundowning. And for those that don't know, sundowning is when you have Alzheimer's or dementia and you, you might be fine during the morning and the early part of the day, but as it draws into night, um, the person just gets really out of control, just kind of out of their mind. It's almost like a form of psychosis. And sometimes when people do that, they get more difficult to handle. Well, they always get more difficult to handle at night in a care facility. And I've had cases where care workers have reached their limit and have assaulted a resident. Um, based on different, you know, based on different things like that, the way they've struggled and they're overworked and they've lashed out suddenly. So I've charged elder abuse on cases like that. I've also seen a case, and one of my first cases was a particularly graphic one where um, a family was caring for a bed-bound mother and the family got because of their own health issues where they couldn't do it. And so the bed-bound mother was just left laying in her back bedroom mm. for weeks on end without being 
moved or cared for, properly fed, and given water. So on the on the physical side, those are kind of the things you see: those assaults, those neglects. Um, I had another case where um, the victim, who is a mentally disabled adult, was locked in an upstairs room in the house, and, and it was because she wandered, and they had no idea being a regular family without any professional experience they didn't know what to do so they locked her in the room which is unreasonable to do you can't jail someone in their own house like that i i i am very familiar with cases we hear about it as we go talk to uh and and phil and, and will is one of the the big participants where we go out and and talk and attend meetings with law enforcement and and in in Georgia, in North Georgia, and exchange ideas and, and and talk about new scams and new techniques and new ab- types of abuses and prosecutions. And I know um, uh, that um, when you talk about the ha- someone living in a house where somebody is supposed to take care of them, I think of one in one of the North Georgia counties where um, finally a neighbor said, I haven't heard or seen Mrs. So and So for uh, for days, and I know her son comes once a week to feed her, but she's been bedbound. And so when finally the uh, sheriffs and this is important, if you have a concern, and I think Will would agree, if you have a concern about a senior, call your local law enforcement sheriffs and get a welfare call. Right, right, Will. Absolutely, the police can go out and do a welfare check. And when I teach and train law enforcement, I tell them, you know, don't just knock on the door and leave. Don't just, if someone's at the house, don't just take their word for it. You need to insist that you have to lay eyes on that person and see how they are in order to conduct the welfare check. A a great topic. And and in this case, they broke into the house I'm talking about in North Georgia, um, the sheriffs, and the woman was uh, just had, had was just caught up in in her in the bed sheet that there were bed sores they kind of kind of molded in with her skin it was a horrible situation the son other than feeding her and i don't know how he fed her but once a week never called anybody they took her to the hospital the county came in and condemned the house it was so bad and um i believe i believe she she later passed but it 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 just shows you if you if you don't see somebody or you think something's wrong, please please call and get a welfare check. Um, I, I, what what Will just said is true, and I can just tell you in in, in my neighborhood, um, they had a welfare check, and I was talking to the officer who came in and and went just what Will said. He knocked on the door, no answer. Went around the house. And finally heard in the back of the house, heard her yelling and screaming. She had fallen. She was a 91-year-old woman living alone. And he kicked the door in, and thank God he did to get her out. I mean, she was in pain, and she was uh, had been laying there for, uh, you know, like 10 hours. So, God, you know, please, please call. And I, and I think what Will, Will told the officers is so true. And... And thank you for that reminding me about that. Will just don't knock on the door, and uh, and 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 walk away while nobody answered. You know, it, very 
very significant, um, sad situation. Um, some, uh, as we, we were talking about that on, um, on abuse, you know, a lot of times um, we, we have these, some issues, and I think it was one here down by the airport here in Atlanta, I think a caretaker just out of the fun of it would go and um, take a cigarette and burn this dementia victim. I mean, those are the type of really horrible abuse cases that should be investigated, and those people should be should be tried and and if convicted should be, should definitely go to jail. Don't you agree, Will? Yes. Um, I'm sorry, you broke up just a little bit on me there. Yeah, let um, me try to get a little better. Is that any better? A little bit, yeah. But, but those are the kind of cases, that, and I don't want the listeners to be terrified. The The really graphic, horrible cases are not the most commonplace ones. They occur, we see them, we handle them, and there's usually, and this is one of the things I've discovered, there's always some kind of mitigating or intervening issue. You have a family member who has a drug addiction. You mm-hmm. have mental health issues within the family. Um, it's very rare to find someone who is just truly sadistic and evil that they would torture someone. There, there's usually some kind of intervening problem in the family. Um, one case I handled I had generations of Adult Protective Services complaints in that family, Adult Protective Services being the ones that come out from the uh, the administrative side and investigate those things and see if they can help. So it, those are not the most commonplace, but where they occur, you need to look for... Or as a prosecutor, I have to look at the fact that in some of those situations, I'm probably going to be playing both social worker as well as prosecutor in that case. Right, and I think I think that's that's very very fair. And and I tell people, law enforcement and prosecutions are not a half hour TV show or an hour TV show. It takes a lot of hard work by the investigators, a lot of hard work by the prosecutors, and it is truly a, a, a team effort. And and you heard Will just talk about. Uh, adult protective services. There's something like that, if not in that name, in every state in the United States. And so, and I'm sure there's something similar in other countries in the world that have that. So, you know, there's there's places to file complaints. And again, if there's something that bothers you, please say something because you might be able to help somebody. And a lot of times, it's just self neglect where there's no prosecution. Correct, Will? Yes. There are a number of those cases, and one of the things I've noticed is they will ver- the people that look into those and investigate them or people that come across them um, don't really know what to do because you see something that horrific and that terrible, you think, well, my goodness, somebody needs to be held accountable. But sometimes it's just someone who has gotten to the point either from depression or from their own issues or they're elderly and can't do it anymore or just unable to care for themselves and I always made sure that I developed a list of resources so that I could say okay well we need you need to 
check here, like with an area agency on aging that provides support and resources for a person. You need to go to Adult Protective Services and do something immediate. Right, and, and, I, and, and, I, and I see that, as you, as you talk about, there are several places to look, and we're going to go in a little more detail after we take our, uh, our second segment break here on the Safe Senior Hour. Want to give your family, our loved one, the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the uh, third segment of the Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavallis and... Uh, Today we have our guest, Attorney uh, Will Johnson, with the Georgia Prosecuting Attorneys Council, known as PAC here in Georgia. And Will is there, is is there, which makes him one of the state experts on adult abuse, neglect, and exploitation as a prosecutor. And and Will, thank you for uh, joining us today. Glad to be with you. We were uh, talking about uh, types of abuse. Uh, that were that of cases that you've seen or you've helped to have some guidance on, and we were talking about the the physical abuse type cases, and you gave some examples. Um, and again, that uh, you were speaking before we took our break of some non law enforcement type people, but but people that could help. Could you go over that again? Because these are in every state, uh, some form of it in the United States. Sure. Um we have what's called the Area Agency on Aging, and they kind of oversee programs to help and assist vulnerable adults and people who need a little extra help. Um, there's a, a group here in Georgia, the area, or in um, Middle Georgia where I live, the Middle Georgia Regional Commission, the Area Agency on Aging, and they were absolutely fantastic to work with. Um, they helped on our multidisciplinary team and were kind of the driving force behind it. There, You can also, if more immediate assistance or greater levels of assistance are needed, you know, the a- AAA is designed maybe to provide transportation to help with food and meals, but they're not designed if someone has, has reached a level where it's an emergency. That needs to be reported to Adult Protective Services um, or whatever version of Adult Protective Services you have in your state. And usually you can just Google for that number and you'll find it. 
And and also, it, you know, report to your law enforcement person if something bothers you that you think is that is is a horrible situation. That that they will refer it to the proper people, or they will go out and say, "Well, there's no case, but it's a, it's a it's a matter we'll refer or we'll work with Adult Protective or um, try to try to uh, get some kind of help if they can." So. Uh, that's that's very good information for people out there. So y- you need to look for that. Um, we're going to go into another type of abuse. We're going to talk about now is uh, financial exploitation. And again, we we started earlier uh, by by mentioning that this is the this is the most prominent type of abuse against seniors, and it, the most prominent group that that exploits seniors, unfortunately. Our relatives or loved ones. Is that pretty much what you're understanding as well? Yes. I've found the bulk of the cases you get will be financial, and part of that is because they're just reported more frequently, have greater channels of reporting. Here in Georgia, financial institutions are required to report any suspicious activity on a vulnerable adult or elder person's account. You can see it reported from people managing the account, from family members who look in and say something is wrong. Um, But also greed is a major motivator for our criminals in this country and in this state. Well, and internationally. I mean, because crime doesn't, uh, these criminals, states, cities, counties, countries don't mean a thing to them. It takes place all over the world. That's a very good point. We talk about counties and venue, which is where the case occurred, what county it occurred in, jurisdiction, who has jurisdiction over the case to prosecute it and handle it, investigate it. But criminals don't abide by that. That's, that's a construct of us as the state. So you're right. One of the biggest challenges is where these people are, where where we go to get them, do we have to bring them in from another country because it's an international scam? The financial cases can be very daunting to investigate and prosecute. And, and I think, and, and I know you're one of the leaders of that here, certainly in the state, is the idea of, of having this community of, in, of investigative resources and prosecutorial resources working together from the, the local level as simple as as some of these situations on code enforcement or fire codes, all the way up to working with the uh, the state DA or the solicitor here in Georgia, or working with the U.S. Attorney's Office as things spread out. And 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 that's why we have try to have monthly meetings or meetings at least quarterly throughout the state, so everybody gets to work with one another and and. And I think, you know, and you're one of the, the, the primary people behind, you know, keeping this going. And I, and I, and I applaud you for that. Thank you. Um, and one of the biggest things we've done in this state, and what I learned in the short time I've been at PAC, is we cannot do elder crime. We cannot fight it without our agency partners. We need adult protective services in this state to come in and provide the support. We need health care facility regulation to help determine whether 
a place is properly licensed and properly meeting requirements. We need the GBI to, to provide help and support in larger cases. We need local law enforcement, the sheriffs and the police associations and the district attorneys and solicitors to all take a very strong, engaging hand, and community partners as well. And that's one of the reasons I was so pleased about Representative Sharon Cooper, who I believe has been on your show before. Yes. Um, I was so pleased that she fought so hard with us to get a bill outlining multidisciplinary teams, which bring all these actors and people to the table so that we can talk about what's going on, so that we can share information, so that we can work together as one large team addressing holistically the needs of our vulnerable community. Right, and and that's good, but just let our listeners know, when, when you said GBI, that's the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Yes. And Sorry, I forget it. it's nationwide. Right, yes, right, Georgia right. Bureau of Investigation. And these these multiple uh, uh, these excuse me these multiple disciplinary teams are 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 uh, are very effective, but they're basically case by case in the judicial district, correct? And in Georgia, we have how many judicial districts? They are, and we have, I believe, forty nine. Um, right. But it's a little different though, because every county can have a solicitor if they want to. Some have part-time solicitors, and some the DA's office acts as both the and the solicitor prosecutes the misdemeanors, the DA prosecutes right. the felonies. Um, so there aren't solicitors in every single county, but I believe there are forty-nine judicial circuits with district attorneys. Right, and 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 that's that's very significant. And they go in, and they that's where they really ingest and digest the case. Um, and they bring all the resources to work on that case, and that's that's the advantage of these multiple disciplinary teams. To complement exactly. that, we we do what the North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force does. We bring people from multi jurisdictions in and discuss various scams and various situations in their areas to let other people know what's going on, and they exchange ideas, prosecutorial—I mean, investigative tips. How to do it, and and the idea of, you know, there there aren't that many people working elder abuse type cases, and if they all work together, they're able to 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 um, you know to help people save time and get to the to the perpetrators, and and that's been very successful, and and that's how that's how they marry up because you want the cases to to be investigated thoroughly, but also you want to have the heads up of things that are happening. Or help try to locate somebody because we go back to it: counties and cities and states don't mean a thing to these criminals at all. Exactly. Uh, and and what you might see in one area, person shows up in, in another area. Um, what I um, we're going to go into more into some of the financial scams you've seen, but right now everybody should be aware of the you know um, coronavirus and. Um, I think I'm just going to I'm I'm just going to let everybody know this is not just the possibility for scams is is very real. And there are various and numerous types of scams and will, you know, you chime in, but here are some of the scams that our Federal Trade Commission says 
are that's the the federal group that's a, that's a that looks at at uh, various uh, civil and potentially criminal scams that take place against uh, everyone in America, but particularly the elderly. And yeah. so, some of the scams they say related to the coronavirus are growing. Some scammers are promising that you can refinance your mortgage or get student loan debt forgiveness for a fee, of course. You you might spot phishing scams. Phishing is where they just throw out, they go out and just try to uh, um, throw out various deals, make maybe 100 calls and hope somebody, you know, bites. It's like phishing, like you're hunting for fish. And one of them is where the scammers try to get your Social Security number or financial information. Um, And that may be to guarantee you access to a COVID-19 vaccine. And I think we got to remind everybody there is still no vaccine that's on the market. So you're not going to have any access to it if you entered into by giving their Social Security number. They might say they're from uh, Medicare. They're not. Medicare is not going to call you. They'll write you and try to get your information. They exactly. Might, right. They might say they have a health kit that they can sell you from the CDC. Uh, again, that's not that's not real. They might say that um, uh, they have a vaccine kit, which is not real, or the Social Security Administration. Uh, tells you there's there's a problem with your Social Security number. There's not. I've received those calls personally. But these are the type of scammers that come in and, you know, and and then they'll go to their some of their favorite scams. Now, we're talking about the United States, but I do want to address, and this comes from the Baker's Baker Fraud Report, and there's just some headlines that he has, and it's a great uh, website to go to, the Baker Fraud Report. But, for example, police in Turkey arrest five and seize one million counterfeit masks. And if anybody's been watching the news or listening to the news or reading about the news, these masks are very important. And here they seize a counterfeit, uh, a million of them. Um, United Kingdom's action fraud uh, unit says virus scams complaints went up 400% in March. Um, the... Uh, Canadian Prime Minister warns of scams exploiting emergency government benefits. Social Security here in the United States warns letters are going out, supposedly from the Social Security Administration, threatening to suspend benefits, has victims call a number, and often ask them to buy gift cards. What's your thoughts on gift cards and government agencies, Will? Um, that doesn't happen. Right. Um, so if somebody wants payment by gift cards to pay a government agency, that's a big red flag, correct? It, it's a huge red flag. People need to remember, don't let someone into your home who just shows up to want to give you a coronavirus test. Right. Don't provide your Medicare, Social Security, banking information to anyone over the phone unless you called them to purchase something. Um don't anyone who solicits don't give them that information right. send them away call and check and find out I, I cannot stress enough how important it is 
to be suspicious in this day and age. Right. Um, right. Unfortunately, that's that's what we've come to. If you don't recognize the number, don't answer it. With that, we're going to have to take our, our break here from our third segment, but we'll be back with some more tips about how to uh, combat and prevent yourself being uh, a victim of scams. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show? Talk about your business or express your opinion on America's Web Radio. Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Well, welcome back to our our final segment of the uh, Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavellis, and our guest today is uh, Will Johnson, attorney with the uh, Georgia Prosecuting Attorneys Council, and Will is the specialist dealing with adult and at-risk adults, abuse, neglect, and exploitation type crimes, and Will, uh, thank you for being on, and uh, um, we, we appreciate what you do and what your fellow prosecutors do and everybody in law enforcement, and especially on, thank you, Joe. Especially on this day and, and everybody who are first responders dealing with the coronavirus and the medical people and, the, and everybody. It's just, a, you know, it, it, really, it really is a, uh, an honor to, uh, to know people and, and that, and to be working with people who are out there, you know, God bless you all. Um, I I do have a couple more tips on the uh, on the uh, coronavirus issue. That in Michigan, it, the attorney general sent cease and desist letters to companies selling patch to prevent virus. Well, there is no patch to prevent virus, um, and. Uh, you know, these are things that we need to, you know, to keep reminding people here. So let's just give a little tips in this day of, of scams and everybody's at home. And I know you want to talk on the phone, but let's just go over that again, Will. If you get a phone call, what's your advice? I would not answer a phone call if you don't know who it is. These people are very well trained in what they do. I, I made the mistake, you know, I wanted to be the... the 
cutesy little prosecutor like you see. People want to answer the phone and kind of aggravate and go back and forth with these folks. And when I answered the phone and I started the little rigmarole trying to get their goat, they fired back whoever was on the phone, and it was a fake Washington number. They fired back what my name, full name, my address, my phone number, and my mother's maiden name were. Wow. And it scared me. They know about you. They're trying to pretend to get your information. They don't have that final link. Usually your credit card number, your bank account number, or your social security number. And, and the trick is do not answer the phone if you do not know who it is. Let them leave a message. Right. And and, and why we keep saying that, and, and, and this is just the way it is. When you, This is the, when we're dealing with the professional scammers, which are about, you know, 45 or 50 percent of the financial exploitation type cases. Um, depending on what survey you read, but here's what happens, and 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 I know it's it's great as Phil as uh, Will just said, it's just you know yeah it'd be nice to, to you know the batter back and forth with them, but here's what happens: your numbers are sold on the dark web, and people have it, or it just comes out, and there's a boiler they call it a boiler room, and again Will correct me if I'm wrong on any of these things or chime in where there might be. 10 or 100 people sitting in a room and they're just there's a machine that dials or they automatically dial the numbers that come up a lot of times they're in what overseas like jamaica or nigeria or uh yes um other places all over I, we're starting to see things now out of out of the far east so but they're sitting in there and and they and they bought this number and and they don't care whether they get you because they're going, they think they're going to get one of a hundred calls they make, but there's a list that that's kept, and this is comes from you know people who've been arrested and they tell the and they tell the investigators what happened, and there are there's a, there's three lists that are kept, and that are in the industry. One is a list where a number's called and nobody answered is exactly what Will says. Don't answer it if you don't know. You know, they can't pull a scam on somebody if they can't talk to them. Number two are the people who they want to, who will talk to them but won't take part in the scam. But, and I think Will will agree, these people are professional. They do it every day, eight hours or ten hours a day. And they think they can out-professional you. And all it takes is one of you, right? To make a mistake, yeah, and they 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 are very professional. That they will get you to slip up and say something yes. that you don't intend to. Like if they're missing your middle name, they'll call you the wrong name, and you'll give away the information that that's not my name. Right, and, and that, then they that, know, and they can go to their list and and figure out more closely what your name might be. Right, and then the third list, of course, is the list that people who have talked to them and have bought into the scam. And, okay, so you've been taken by one scam. But that doesn't end there, does it, Will? No. They'll know. I firmly believe, I have no proof of this, but I firmly believe that if someone falls for the scam, they somewhere red alert that name and number so that other people know to target this person. And these kinds of data sale 
crimes are not new. When I started the at the district attorney's office in Macon, Georgia, um, in 2013, I had cases from 2012. You know, that's eight years ago now. I had cases from 2012 where they had purchased all sorts of people's credit card numbers and were loading them onto blank vanilla Visa cards to see if they would work. So these these things of data sales are not new. The problem is they're getting more professional and more secure in what they know to do and the scams that they're pulling. Well, you look at it that they sell this, and I know on one of the cases that I'm familiar with, is a gentleman, and this is something we talk about, a romance scam. And I don't know if uh, um, these are scams that that take place, and the elderly are one of the biggest victims. Both, by the way, equally male and female. Um, But after they got this gentleman um, hooked for about $75,000, he tried to get out of it. Well, his name was passed on to somebody else, this case another woman, who came out around about, and, and it was through a, uh, a dating service or, or, or um, claimed she was, that she was on a dating website or something. But she ended up getting the information from um, the perpetrators who, were, who, who had uh, dealt with this gentleman. And um, he was concerned. He, I remember he said, how did she know about me? I said, because they sell it. They, they, get, they give it to their friends or their, or their other people. There are different groups. And they figure if you don't want to do business anymore in the scam business with this woman, they'll do it again with – maybe you'll do it with this woman. Well, it didn't go there. He didn't buy into that. He didn't, he didn't um, partake in any more conversations with her. Well, then the next scam came. Somebody called him and said he was with the Federal Bureau of Detectives. Well, there is no Federal Bureau of Detectives. But his pitch was, I heard that you're concerned about that you might have been taken for some money, and we're here to help you. But we need some upfront money to, as bait money. So, I mean, it just goes on and on. It's like you don't get away from it until you just totally don't answer the phone or don't answer the messages. So I, 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 I think that's good advice, right, Will? Yes, and I'll never forget how devastating this is. I had a case, one of my last ones before I left the DA's office, was a um, 80-something-year-old victim, and she had been so persistently scammed and targeted. I, I think it was hundreds of thousands of dollars wow. that when I tried to call and speak to her as the prosecutor on the case, her family would not let me talk to her unless they listened in and until I had sent a letter on letterhead um, showing who I was and that I was, in fact, the the district the assistant district attorney handling the case. Well, I, I think we're passing out, and you put out some, some good advice, and as we tend to wrap up here, I'm going to um, just go over a few things, and will you chime in? One, don't answer a phone that you don't know. And if they, if they leave a message, you independently call that government agency or state agency or whatever company they say they were with. Uh, I'm thinking something like a software scam. If somebody said they're from micro, Microsoft, you independently call Microsoft or you independently call a bank. 
Um, yes. Those are things that help protect you from what you were involved in. Um, the other other point is um, if you're living alone, and in this day and age, I know it's crazy, but if you're living alone, don't let anybody inside your house you don't know. It sounds just sounds pretty obvious, but it's just great because once people are in your house, especially if you're living alone, you can't get them out. It's hard to do that. So, you know, talk through the door, um, and, and, and as, as the law enforcement tell me, if you got to yell through the door, yell through the door. And it used to be the idea, well, just pretend you're not there. Well, um, and if you're there alone, well, they might come around the back of the house and break in. So by, by you saying, talking to them, they know you're there, and that they're not, most of these people don't want to confront a person. Uh, especially that don't want to be there. And just tell them, you know, please, I'm not interested, go away, and then call your local law enforcement. Say, I have a suspicious person at my door. I don't know who it is. But these are good good tips. Uh, anything else you have before we wrap up here, uh, uh, Will? The biggest thing is do not hand out your personal information mm-hmm. to anyone. I don't care how insistent they are, what agency they say they're with, where they're from, don't give your information out. Hang up on them, leave it alone, go away from it. Right, and we spoke earlier, and I think we'll concur, if somebody that claims they're from the government wants you to pay something, and he wants you to pay through a a card like a iTunes card or a blue dot card or a green dot card or something like that. The government doesn't get paid that way. The government wants real cash or a personal check that they can check on and uh, and and you make it out to that entity. So please don't get caught up and you'll see cases all over the place where um, where people um, are buying like a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars worth of iTunes cards. So with that, I want to thank you, Will, for coming on. We we were about to to leave the uh, safe senior hour, uh, and Will, thank you for being on as a guest. And remember, everybody out there, elder abuse does not report itself. Please stay safe and healthy. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.